power, right? Over the holidays, I was at someone's house, and somehow we got on the topic of questioning God. Is it okay to question God? Have you ever wondered that before? Is it okay to question God about his actions or what appears to be his lack of action? What do you think? Okay. Hearing a number of people say yes. Um, some of you may be not quite so sure. I think the answer is it depends. Let me share a few verses, and we'll see if we can sort it out together. Isaiah chapter 45, 9 through 10. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pot shards among the pot shards on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what? have you brought to birth? So there's apparently a certain type of questioning that brings woe upon someone. Uh, the next couple of verses, this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who have made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Apparently, there's a type of questioning that is, shall we say, questionable. It's almost a question that is intended to direct God as if we know what's better and what God should have done or what he should be doing. Uh, it's not a question that is deeply wanting answers. It's a question where we are accusing God almost, feeling like we know what's best. Or perhaps Romans 9.20 Paul picks up on this theme. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Paul in this passage is emphasizing God's sovereignty. God is the one who ultimately knows what's best. And who are we to tell God what to do? So perhaps there are some types of questions that are questionable. Or we think about the children of, of Israel going through the wilderness. Some of them questioned Moses, questioned God, and they said, why have you brought us out here to die? Were they really wanting kind of an intellectual or uh, a discussion with God? What, what is your plan here, God? I'm curious because we're a little hungry and we're not sure what's going on. Or were they just kind of accusing God in their questions. Uh, it was more of that. They said, why can't we just go back to Egypt and eat? We had our, uh, garlic there and onions. We had cucumbers. Why can't we go back to Egypt? The problem is many people who question God, they do it with a rebellious and an untrusting heart. And they're not truly trying to get answers from God. So perhaps for those types of questions, uh, with that kind of spirit, uh, we ought not to engage in those types of things. 1 Corinthians 2.16, the apostle says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? 
Uh, you can think about the story of Job. After all these questions are asked, God shows up and he starts turning the tables and asking questions back. And they realize how ignorant they are. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without what? Who's just talking without having any idea what they're talking about, right? So is it wrong to question God? Well, I guess it depends on what your attitude, what your intent is. But certainly we're going to see today it is perfectly right in other ways to question God. We are invited to bring our questions to him. But we'll see that we have to bring our questions to God with humility because we don't know it all. We aren't the maker of the universe. And as troubling as things in this world may be, we can't see things the way that God sees them. Okay, so who are some people who questioned God in the Bible? Well, one of them was Abraham. Genesis chapter 18 God came and visited Abraham, and he told him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham was troubled by this, because he thought, what if there are good people that are in the city? God, surely you wouldn't destroy the righteous along with the unrighteous, would you, God? And he was questioning God, but he was doing it with pure motives, because he wanted as many people to be saved as possible. He said, Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Implied in his question is the firm belief that God was going to do what was right. Remember we talked last week about how some people think God is different in the Old Testament. Abraham, who lived a whole lot closer to the flood. Abraham, living in the Old Testament time period, knew that God was a God of justice. A God who didn't want to bring harm upon the righteous along with the unrighteous. He questioned God. Uh, and God invited this type of dialogue and said at the end, no, if there are ten righteous, I won't destroy them for the sake of all those unrighteous. He questioned God from a standpoint of faith. Well, check this out. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. David Apparently writing here, he says, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Where are you at, God? I need you. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David had questions. He went through difficulties in his experience. And at times, he directed his questions to God. God, I need you. It seems like you're far off right now. Where are you? But what's awesome is, as you read Psalm 10... He doesn't end in a place of despair and accusations against God. He doesn't tell God what to do. Instead, he reminds himself of who God really is. Amen. 16 through 18 says, The Lord is king for how long? And the nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. He's just said, where are you, God? But he said, but God, I know that you're hearing my prayer. I know that you're hearing the prayer of those who are in trouble. And, and you encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. In his prayer, 
asking God where he's at, what he's doing, he also is reminding himself, he's reminding God that God is a good God who does hear the prayer of those who are in need. David had experienced that help in the past. He was able to reflect upon that experience and have faith, even in his prayers of questions. Asaph, Asaph wrote Psalm 74. He said, oh God, why have you rejected us forever? That's a big question. Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? God, why? But we'll see, again, similar to what David did, look at what Asaph does in verse 12 and 13. But God is my king from when? Long ago. He's got a history with God. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. He's remembering back on what God had done in the past. Can we question God? Absolutely. But when we do it, we also should remember how God has led us in the past. I don't have kids, right? <laughs> um, but if you're a parent, you probably have experienced something like this. Your child comes to you and they want something from you, but it's not a good time, so you opt not to give it to them. And then by their despair and their cries to you, they make it seem as if you've never done anything good for them in the past. Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> Or you can imagine that kind of thing happening. It's kind of like sometimes we forget that if, if in the moment we don't have that good thing, nothing good has ever happened in the past. When we come with, to God with our good and legitimate questions, we should never forget how God has already answered our questions and blessed us in the past. We have nothing to fear for the future except that we shall forget how God has let us, blessed us in the past. Asaph questioned. Jesus even questioned. What did he say upon the cross in the question form? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's good and natural to ask questions, but we should also understand that we may not receive an answer in the time frame that we're asking. Notice what Jesus had to say. John 16, 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. I got a lot I want to tell you, but you guys aren't ready for it yet. Sometimes we're not ready for the answer that God wants to give us. And so God, in his mercy, doesn't answer our question right then. That's not what we want in the moment, but it's what we need, ultimately. Sometimes we have to be okay living in some tension as our questions remain in our mind. John 13, 7, Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll what? Oh, <laughs> this is painful for you right now, my child but you're going to get it someday and you'll see that what I'm doing is actually for your good. Bring your questions to God, but realize that maybe God has an answer that you're not ready to receive yet. 
Or maybe God is doing something that's impossible for you to understand right now in the heat of the moment, but you'll understand it later. They say hindsight is what? 2020. Uh, someday that's going to be true for us. For any question we have in this universe, God in heaven will reveal all the answers to us. And we're going to look at the answers and say, that's exactly what I would have wanted had I known everything going on. God, I understand and I support your decision 100%. Sometimes we just have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. What about Isaiah 55, 8 and 9? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, we come to God with a humble heart, recognizing he is way above us in every category, except for sin, right? But that's not a category you want to be up there in. But he understands sin better than we ever could. So God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I read a couple passages, and they're a little bit long. I'm going to admit that to you. But I, I trust that you're not going to uh, doze off on me during these passages, okay? These quotes, right? This is from the book Great Controversy. The mysterious providence which permits the righteous to suffer persecution at the hand of the wicked has been a cause of great what? Perplexity to, to many. Some are even ready to cast away their confidence in God because he suffers the basest of men to prosper. That means the, the lowest, the, the most sinful. While at the same time, the best and purest are afflicted, uh, afflicted and tormented by their cruel power. How, it is asked, can one who is just and merciful and who is also infinite in power tolerate such injustice and oppression? We, we wonder these things. God, this doesn't seem fair. How come you're letting this happen? And notice what comes next. This is a question with which we have nothing to do. God has given us sufficient evidence of his love, and we are not to doubt his goodness because we cannot understand the workings of his providence. In other words, we can't, we're not capable of understanding the answer to this question. And so don't doubt God's goodness just because you can't understand his workings in that moment. In other words, God has revealed himself to be good and faithful in our lives, in our world experience. And trust him, even in the moments when you don't understand what he's doing. And then it continues, uh, because Jesus promised his disciples that they would suffer persecution in the world. He didn't promise everything would go uh, perfectly for them. Said the Savior to his disciples, foreseeing the doubts that would press upon their souls in the days of trial and darkness, Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus suffered for us more than any of his followers can be made to suffer through the cruelty of wicked men. And those who are called to endure torture and martyrdom are but following in the steps of God's dear Son. We can expect that we will go through difficulties 
some of us may pay the ultimate price for our faith in God. Right now, we have it really easy, exceptionally easy, but our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the reality of these words. But we shouldn't doubt God's goodness just because we don't understand his working in a moment of time. You still with me? Okay, I have one more. It's a little bit long, but it's really good, so it's going to be worth it. Every saint who comes to God with a true heart and sends his honest petitions to him in faith will have his prayers answered. Your faith must not let go of the promises of God if you do not see or feel the, what kind of answer? Immediate Immediate answer to your prayers. Be not afraid to trust God. Rely upon his sure promise. Ask and you shall receive. If you come to God with a sincere heart, your prayers will be answered. Your prayers will be answered, but you may not feel it immediately. And as we've discussed previously, you may not get the answer you were expecting. And maybe the answer has already been given. Christ, the birth of the Messiah. But yet some people didn't realize their prayer had already been answered. But it continues. God is too wise to err. That's how you say that word. It looks like you should say err. It's really err. (laughs) And too good to withhold any good thing from his saints that walk uprightly. Man is erring, erring. And although his petitions are sent up from an honest heart, he does not always ask for the things that are good for himself or that will glorify God. When this is so, our wise and good Father hears our prayers and will answer, sometimes immediately, but he gives us the things that are for our best good and his own glory. We've got to be humble, again, realizing we don't always know the right things to ask for in prayer. I can think of things that I wanted in the past that if God had given them to me, it would have been trouble, right? Would have, you see this with teenagers these days, uh, in, in all days. They, they find somebody that they're just so infatuated with, and they think, this is the person that I must date and marry. And you're looking at it, and you're thinking, there is no way in the world that would ever work out or even be a good idea, Right? Our hearts do the same thing. We've got to recognize God answers our prayers according to what's best for us, not always what we think is best. Finally, it says God gives us blessings. If we could look into his plan, we would clearly see that he knows what's best for us and that our prayers are answered. Nothing hurtful is given, but the blessing we need in the place of something that we ask for that would not be good for us but to our hurt. God wants us to be happy, healthy, and blessed. And so because of that, he doesn't always grant us the things we ask for. Even if that's confusing to us in this moment. And there may be other dynamics going on that we don't understand. Well, briefly, I want to look at a a case study about questioning God in prayer. And so I invite you to open up your Bible to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Basically, if you can find Matthew, just hang a left, and it's not too many pages before Matthew. There's a few books in between Matthew and Habakkuk, but not too many. Habakkuk.
I've heard this book pronounced jokingly as uh, Habakkuk, <laughs> but that's not it at all. Habakkuk. This book was written about 600 years before Jesus. That's the time frame we're dealing with. We don't know a lot about Habakkuk, but he was a prophet, and he lived either during the time of Josiah or Jehoiakim, um, before the nation was carried away in exile to Babylon. So before Daniel was taken captive and shipped off to Babylon, Habakkuk was a prophet. And his book basically involves him questioning God, asking God some powerful questions. Let's start in chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden or the oracle which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. He's basically saying, that's a cool balloon. <laughs> Basically saying, God, what's going on? Why, why is injustice prevailing? What's going on in our society? Why aren't you doing something, God? Wickedness is prevailing. Violence. But you're not doing anything right now, God. These are some powerful questions. And look how God responds. Verse 5, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. You know, when I first read this verse, when I was a teenager, I would sometimes share this verse as a promise from God about the good things he was going to do. God is going to work a work in your days which you wouldn't believe even if it were told you. Gearing up for evangelism or something. Jenny says, read verse 6. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful, and their judgment and dignity proceed from themselves. So God's answer, I am going to do something about injustice. I'm actually bringing Babylon to bring justice. And Habakkuk actually, when he gets the answer, maybe he wishes he didn't receive it. Because now it leads to some more questions. He wonders, okay, what's going on with this? Look at verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, for you have appointed them for judgment. The Babylonians, they're the ones that need to be judged, God, more than us. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You're of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So Habakkuk has just said previously, there's a lot of injustice God, why aren't you doing something? God says, just wait, I am. I'm going to allow the Babylonians to come on in 
and they're going to be the act of punishment upon the nation. And then he says, whoa, whoa. They, I mean, we're, we might be bad, some of us. There's a lot of righteous people among us, and they're really bad. They're the ones that need to be punished, God. So this dialogue goes back and forth. Now, I have never had this kind of conversation with God where it is perhaps an audible thing or in a vision. But God has revealed his word very clearly to us through the Bible. And we can ask God and ask for answers and receive answers in his word. And I tell you what, I have read passages that feel like God has taken a heavenly highlighter when I am asking him questions and I read this passage and it speaks to my heart. God wants to talk to us. As you pray, as you ask God for answers, do it in the context of Scripture. We had the blessing this week at 10 Days of Prayer uh, of spending some time praying Bible verses to God. This is a good practice that we should get into. So what does God answer uh, to Habakkuk's second question. You look at chapter 2, starting in verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end of it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yeah, the Babylonians, they're proud. His soul is not upright. But you need to concern yourself about how you live. The just person shall live by faith. Faith and trust in me. Trust that, that I'm going to do what's right. Live righteously. You can control your own actions, so do that. And of course, the Apostle Paul picks up on this and expands in three wonderful passages in the New Testament. And then it, it says at the top of verse 5 in my Bible, woe to the wicked. And God goes on to answer. Five different times there are five woes or five warnings because he promises that yes, the Babylonians and in fact all the wicked will be punished. They will get their just due. The five woes are pronounced against greed, exploitation of others, crimes against humanity, drunkenness, and finally idolatry. So God says, yeah, I am going to make things right. But the just person, they'll live by faith. Put your trust in me. Live right. I'm going to make things right. And then we get this beautiful chapter 3. Closing out the book of Habakkuk. Just doing a quick bird's eye view of this book this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Revive your work. In other words, you've done good things in the past. Please continue to do good things right now. 
God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Probably another reference to Mount Sinai. So now he's going back in the chronicles of their history and he's remembering what God had done for them in the past. And you can read this passage more detailed on your own. Uh, you can skip down to verse 8, for example. A lot of talk about water there, and some believe that's uh, a poetic um, depiction of God even parting the Red Sea. You look at verse 11. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation, a reference to that story with Joshua where the sun stood still. So, so Habakkuk is remembering what God had done for them. Even as he has these questions for God, by faith he remembers what God had done. And then verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed, you struck the head from the house of the wicked. God, you rescued your people. And by implication, if you did it then, you can do it for us now. Amen. And then, like we saw in the Psalms with David and with Asaph, we see in the closing words of Habakkuk, verses 17 through 19, this hymn of faith. And I love these words here. They're so powerful. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, verse 17, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the field and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, even if things are going bad, really bad, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God will make my strength, is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. There in the end of a book where he's asked God some big questions, Habakkuk has reminded himself of how God has led in the past. And he said, even if things don't go good for me right now, I'm going to continue to trust in God. Is it wrong to question God? I guess it depends. Is it wrong to bring God sincere questions from a heart that wants to know answers? No. That's fine to do. God invites us to bring our questions to him. Look at, look at these invitations here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? confidence, or in the New King James, with boldness, boldly, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Surely in that could include our questions. Come to God. Ask God our questions boldly. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know what to do, if you have questions, what do we do? We should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God wants to answer our questions. Sometimes we may have to wait for the answer. So as we close out this morning, I have four suggestions. When you have those deep questions on your heart, what should we do with them? Number one, bring your questions to God himself. 
The, the heart that has no interest in, in finding answers to the questions simply asks questions. Says, oh, God should have done this. Why didn't God do this? But they don't bring it to God directly. Go to the source, bring God your question, and then, through his word, seek for answers. Number one, bring God your questions and ask him as you search the scriptures for answers. Number two, seek answers with knowledgeable and mature believers. So don't just keep the question to yourself. Uh, find somebody who is mature in the faith who has good knowledge, and bring your question to them. Or if you can find somebody who's an expert in the field, go to them. Because they probably have asked the same question, and maybe they've found a good answer. Questioning is not wrong. We want to be a safe place to ask all of our questions. Amen? Not where we judge and say, oh, you should have more faith. No. We say, that's a good question. Let's pray together about it. Let's search God's word together about it. Let's see if we can find an answer. Number one, we bring God our questions. We search the scriptures. Number two, find somebody mature in the faith, somebody who can help you answer these questions. Number three, don't let what is unclear keep you from believing and following that which is clear. There are some really big questions I have about certain passages in the Bible. But I tell you what, there are many other passages that are really clear to me about God's love and mercy and grace and his plan. And I know, I'm 100% convinced, God is a God of love. And because that is clear to me, if there's a story where I'm struggling to understand how God is love in that particular passage, I don't overturn what is clear because there's one unclear place. The body of evidence has shown me in my life and in scripture and in this world that God is love. And so I'm going to ride with that. Don't let what is unclear keep you from believing and following the things that are clear. And finally, in the process, as we've seen, take time to remember how God has led you in the past, how he has blessed you in the past. We have a good God, don't we? I'm looking forward to the day when we see him face to face and all of our questions are answered. Let's stick with him and let's encourage each other until that day. And let's invite people in the community to know about God too so they can get their questions answered someday as well. Let's pray. Dear God, you're a good God in spite of what some people may say, as we have questions and as we bring them to you, Lord, please give us your answers as we search together. And in some cases, as we wait, some questions we may wait until heaven, but we're looking forward to that day. So use us, Lord, to stick with you and to help others to know you and stick with you too. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, amen. Have a happy Sabbath.